Hi, this is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. As we begin to wrap our minds around returning to the office, I've been thinking a lot about the past year and what it's meant for working women. For the women who were forced to take a step back professionally during COVID, what does the future hold? How can companies help make it easier for women to get back into the swing of things? I spoke with Laura Dribben, the CEO and founder of Peridius Consulting, Inc., a premier niche consulting firm specializing exclusively in outcome management. She coaches women on career development and has written extensively about gender equality in the workforce. Here's our conversation. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Balance Sheet. Thanks for joining me. Oh, Olivia, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. I'm excited to talk to you, so thanks. Tell me a little bit about what you do, your background for for the listeners. Sure. Um, I am CEO of Peridius Consulting. We are a niche management consulting firm. We focus on driving desired outcomes for our clients' strategic initiatives. So what most people think of as program management. Um, Though we tend to try and um, stress a little bit more um, than is typical of a program manager of more value generation. We ask our clients the whys. Why are you doing this? What do you want out of it? And I've been doing that for 31 and a half years now. And what was your, what's your background? Like, how did you get to founding the company? Actually, it's an interesting story, if I may say so myself. Well, I started out, I had a bachelor's degree at University of Illinois, Champaign, in mathematics. Um, Then I went and I started out, and everything I'm going to say is going to age me. Pre-Accenture, so Arthur Anderson Consulting Division, I worked for them, and I was sort of fell into that role as a technical resource. This is when computer science majors were just starting to graduate. It was really a, a newer degree. So they looked for math majors and music majors at the time, since they didn't have a lot of computer science. Um, And then I uh, was there for a while, and then I went to Discover Card when they first started. Sears Roebuck uh, owned them at the time. And I realized corporate America wasn't really quite for me directly. So then I went to Microsoft. And early on, and uh, was a technical resource for them, they were much smaller at the time. So I had much more access to uh, the top level back at that time. So that was fun. Up until then, I had been a road warrior and I had my first child. I I got pregnant with my first child and realized did not want to, I didn't want to be traveling anymore. I missed consulting and uh, I wanted a little flexibility. So those are my three things that I focused on. And back then, consulting was not favorable to working moms if you didn't want to travel. So I that sort of led me to, well, then I'm going to just start my own practice. You know, I wanted those three priorities, no travel, work travel, uh, flexibility in my schedule to be there if I needed to for my kids. And back to consulting just led me to starting my own firm back then. Today, we're going to talk a lot about gender inequality and, and specifically like women returning to work. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about just as a mother myself the past year, what that's kind of been like and what it's meant for my career and the future. But I want to start by asking you a little bit about your personal experience with gender inequality. So so let me start out by um, explaining myself a little bit. I tend to be rather oblivious at times to things that are around me. I don't necessarily always connect in the moment 
when something may be gender unequal. So some of these experiences, like the one I'll share with you that happened in college, didn't dawn on me till like 20 years later. Hmm. So when I was an, an undergrad, I thought I wanted math. I didn't have any business background in my family. My family were all teachers or blue collar workers. And so I didn't really know what you do with math other than teach, which I know I did not want to teach. So they gave me a, like a, a mentor professor who sort of was to guide me. And I, they said, well, what are you going to do with it besides teach? And I'm like, well, I don't want to teach. So at that point in time, I started trying out all these different careers. I was pre-med, pre-law, accounting, you name it, I tried it. Well, I still took math classes at the time. So it was probably my junior year where I had a friend's father who worked for IBM. And I, I, I went and I said, does IBM ever hire math majors? And he's like, yes, that's all I needed. I didn't even ask for what. I just wanted to know there was a different direction I could take. And then I, since I had been taking math, I luckily graduated with on time. But it took me a long time to realize, no, no, that's not really what that professor should have told me. If I was a man, I highly doubt that would have been the advice that I got. Did not really, since I didn't really know what other options there were at the time, I took that at face value, <clears throat> not realizing that was a little sexist. There's an old show called Remington Steel, Pierce Brosnan, for those who don't know. And it was a show about a woman detective who started her own business. But she knew that men, that, that clients would not hire her unless there was a man leading the company. So she pretended there was a Remington Steel, was a CEO, never around. The principle always stuck with me. And so I always talked about when I was selling business, business development, I needed a Remington steel. And so that sort of stuck with me. I always thought maybe some uh, a man could sell better. So just that gender inequality sort of came about in that respect in my mind, because um, I, I know that there are times where there are, I probably haven't had jobs where I didn't get it because it was a woman-owned business. Now, how has that affected the way that you advise people in in the work that you do, how have those experiences kind of changed the way that you counsel others? So I I actually uh, wrote something recently about, I, I think that women and marginalized groups really need to focus on relationship building. I, I think credibility is earned, not given when you're a woman or a marginalized group where I can walk in with the experience and the history to show that we can do this. I have to still uh, go ahead and earn that credibility where I see, you know, my peers who are men come in and without some of that experience or that history can get the work. It's assumed. It's assumed. It's assumed. Um, I mean, that's happened to me, you know, a couple of times recently where we lost work to a brand new company who has didn't have that history. And yet we had it. We proved it. We had references. And yet, you know, they didn't go with us. I, I can't say I, there are so many different reasons why I could lose work. I never want to I never make the assumption it's because I'm a woman. don't want to be that person. But I also am aware that out of 31 years of doing this, there has to be times where I lost the work because we were a woman-owned business. I, I'd be foolish to assume otherwise. 
but I don't know when that's going to happen and, and when that is the case. Mm-hmm. So what I tell people, that was your original question, is really focus on developing relationships. Sometimes it takes me forever to sell to a client. It will take years of conversations, giving the, you know, back and forth, trying to, to develop that trusted relationship. And I'm really building my credibility at the, at, um, during that time is what I'm doing. So when you say building relationships, to me, that goes beyond networking, right? So networking is one animal and that's a certain skill set for sure. Building relationships to me is investing in relationships, right? So what does that look like? Like, I'm curious to, to know what that looked like during COVID. And then do you think it's ch- going to change now, evolve back into more in person? Like, what, what are your thoughts around that? COVID only, I think, only changed how the communication occurred. Mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily changed the mode or, or the importance of it. So a Zoom call just to get to know someone that I might have met at a Zoom networking event. I tend to try and hold on to relationships. So it's not just a, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Here's my card. And then I'm done. Or I leak into them. I think I'm done. I will try and continue and learn more about them. I'm not always in it for what can you do for me? That's not really a relationship. So it's often what can we do for each other? And some people are looking for new jobs. And if I can connect them to the right people, I I will try and do that. And I think it's just, you know, it, it has to be a little bit more personal. That's the kind of relationship I'm addressing that you sort of have to get into more of the personal details, learning what makes them tick. I will often ask people when they're in a job, tell me about it. And then I'll like, do do you like it? Are you happy? And that's sort of even an opening for, well, or, you know, a little bit deeper, right? A little bit deeper of of, of, of an exploration, right? And looking for them to do the same. Going back to building relationships as a tool for women and marginalized groups. Is that because by forming relationship, you're creating advocates for you? Like what's the, how does that kind of combat the challenge of going up against a man where it's assumed that he has the ability, the capabilities to, you know, accomplish something or take on that particular role or whatever it may be. I think it goes back to, I think women have to earn their credibility. It's not given. And I I don't want to say that universally, but men often don't have to earn it. They're given it. And so that relationship building is a process to start to build your credibility. The more they know about you, the more they know, are you an accountable type of individual? Are you, do you have integrity? And, oh, so you had trouble with this type of project because we're getting uh, on a more friendly type of basis. So we talk more openly and and they'll start to understand what they're getting from us. Mm -hmm. Versus um, often men don't have to go through that process. They can give you the resume and that's it done. So I, that's one aspect of it. I will tell you though, that one of the other things that I have learned a long time ago is that I have to work harder. My pipeline of potential offers has to be greater than normal because I have to assume that I'll be lucky if I get a couple out of this larger pipeline. So I can't assume that if I have 
four things in the pipeline, then I'm going to get three out of them. I may be lucky if I get one. So my pipeline needs to be larger so that the odds are greater that I will get more. And I, I have always worked my business development in that manner that I can't assume that as something's going really well, that it's going to happen. Shifting a little bit to women returning to the office, what are some of the challenges that you predict women will face as they return to the office? And then how would you advise them through those challenges? I think I think this is a difficult time. We've all been reading articles about how women have been the most dramatically affected um, in the workforce by the pandemic. I don't remember statistics, but I, you know there, there's the majority of people who have left the workforce during the pandemic have been women and marginalized groups. And so I don't want to undermine one or the other. I think it has been a tough time for mothers of children because they've been the teacher, they've been uh, that cruise director, they've been the homemaker, and at the same time that they're trying to be a, a, either a breadwinner or contributing uh, to the overall health of the the home, financial health of the home, and some of them had to leave because childcare was not a, a, available. When I decided to start my business. I told you I had three priorities that made me start the business. But what I found was that starting a company was not stressful at all compared to getting childcare. Hmm. And I think childcare is probably more, more, there's more of a systems to achieve it than there were back then. But I I'm not proud of this moment, but I can tell you that I sort of had a revolving door of sitters. I remember sitting on the floor crying when one said, I'm I'm leaving. And this person did me a favor because there were some issues with her ex-husband that I could potentially have come into my house. All I kept thinking of is, I'm starting again? What am I going to do now? And well, I feel for young mothers today it is not an easy time and they have to decide do they want to stay at home going forward do they want to come back if they go back do they lose some seniority because this is what sort of historically happened with women you know if they go out for childbearing their childbearing time and a maternity leave and then they get bumped down the ladder for promotion I, I think that's going to happen in some situations even now so I think women have to decide whether they want to come back. And if they do, they, I think they need to, you know, continue to push back and, and, and fight for what they're looking for. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about is I'd love for companies to think about the root cause problem and maybe some childcare sponsoring. There are certain more forward thinking companies that have sponsored childcare in their company, those are ones that are addressing the movement towards DEI, gender-based support for what do you do if you can't find childcare? And even as people are starting to come back and camps are out there for those who can do it, for those who can't afford camp for their children, you know, what are they going to do? So I think companies have to be aware of, of that. We've all been remote. It's been a very productive um, test for companies. Um, innovation, I always say, is a little bit down when you're not face-to-face, but not every role requires that. So if you're a mother who wants to come back to work and doesn't have the childcare and 
um, doesn't have that luxury, then let them work remote. Let them figure out how to bring, how to deal, even in a hybrid manner. I think women are going to have to sort of group together to to push that. And it's going to be a company by company, unfortunately, decision. But I would question those companies that are talking about how they have to be focused more on DEI if they don't understand that this is an issue they have to help address. And you you have really addressed, you know, how organizations can respond to the issues that women may face um, coming back to work as far as how you would advise leaders. So managers and, and people in leadership positions as they see their team members start to specifically their female team leaders start to return to the office or taking back on responsibility. What are some ways that they can make that transition a little bit easier? Being con- in consulting, I have a wider berth of seeing different companies and their styles. So um, I have some clients who never wanted to be remote and the pandemic forced them to be, and they're realizing there were benefits. So as a leader of one of those organizations, I think they have to, if their instinct is to come back once they can, I, I I would love to counsel them to really consider why, the, the why that they're doing that. So flexibility as a leader, flexibility should be built into every company model. Understanding that you're the mother of the future. <laughs> so let's address that future by making sure that they are able to deal in both worlds successfully because um, it, it shouldn't have to be an either or. There are ways to work in successfully in both. I, I think I'm you know, my history is a good example. I was always worried about about that. And I lived in a bedroom community where I was one of the only women that I was the only one that I knew started a business and let alone not that many were working with as they were raising. And I think that was a lot. Some of it was choice, their choices, which was perfectly fine. But I sort of always felt odd man out. There's always a lot of pressure on women. I'm hoping that you're the younger generation, the, the women who are just starting, who are having children now, um, that they are, I, I think they're a little bit more understanding of this. And I'm hoping that carries over to the leaders. I've been talking to a lot of people who do work with leaders is just that empathy. Just that's where you have to start is just having empathy for the people who work for you and with you. And uh, I think that is a silver lining of COVID is that we did kind of weirdly get invited into each other's homes a little bit and understand a little bit better what people have going on. And, and business was able to be continued. Yes. Right? Business, you know, businesses did not fall apart from this experience, unless you're in the hospitality, mind you, but right. Sure. Yeah. And against pretty significant odds, I think most of us were able to pull it off, or a lot of us were, but it is really important to understand each other's challenges. And it's not just parents, of course, you know, it's people who are caring for elderly parents. I mean, the the list goes on and on of, of COVID challenges. Absolutely. And I think companies, when they, if they start to think about how they can help 
like sponsor or subsidize childcare. I would love companies to start thinking about that as COVID starts to to wane. And you know, how do you get help in a situation that is? Uh, across the country, childcare, there's a shortage. Mm. Uh, Even as we're coming back, there's a shortage. And so how do you help? Or as you said, if women tend to be the caregivers, so whether taking care of your parents, you know, I I don't think we should, that businesses want or should be um, risking the loss of this intellectual power um, that comes with, that women can bring to the table as well, or marginalized groups um, that are really in the same boat. Well said. That's a perfect place to end it on. Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Olivia, I really thank you for having me and uh, appreciate it, what you're doing. Thanks so much. 